The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. My name is Jared Ossalier, and I'm one of the pastors here. It is a pleasure to be with you this morning. Hey, before we go any further, I want to acknowledge, I know some of you were not here by choice. Some of you were dragged here by well-meaning family or friends, and so uh, I just want you to know that I promise this service won't go a minute over four hours, okay? I promise we'll be fine. It'll be okay. No, um, we want nothing from you. We just want you to come and enjoy. Uh, This is a celebration party for those of us who are apprenticing Jesus. This is our chance to to, to just really... um, acknowledge what we celebrate every single Sunday is, is really from this Sunday. It grows out of this Sunday uh, that Jesus rose from the dead. And so this is where our hope is. And so uh, we as a church, are, are, everything we do is based around that. If there is no resurrection, there is no hope for us. And so this is the Sunday that kicks off every other Sunday for us. I believe that God as a church has called us to lead communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and others. So what does it look like to be a healthy apprentice of Jesus? A healthy apprentice of Jesus Christ is increasingly engaged in learning and believing the gospel, is living out the gospel in community. We were never meant to do this by ourselves, and is modeling and sharing the gospel to others in our everyday lives. And as we live this out, we get to be a part of God's story for the city of Los Angeles, for the city of Burbank, for the city of Granada Hills, for the valley For greater Los Angeles, we believe God wants to move in and through us to see those places redeemed in the name of Jesus. For those of you who are joining us uh, for the first time, uh, we have been going through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You might be surprised to learn how much in common we have with the people that Jesus has been speaking to. Jesus' Sermon is an invitation, an invitation to become citizens of a new kingdom, a spiritual kingdom. The Sermon on the Mount is where Jesus lets us see how differently God's kingdom is from the kingdoms that we are familiar with in our lives. The Jews were facing oppression, injustice, racism, and even random murders at the hands of the occupying Roman government. And Jesus' answers to these problems are as important today as it was then. See, instead of addressing the needs that Jesus that the people thought were most important in that moment, the most urgent needs that they could see, Jesus backs up and says, the slavery and bondage to sin is a greater need to be freed from. It's not that Jesus doesn't address or recognize those physical needs. We see him healing. We see him uh, curing diseases and illnesses. But he invites them and us to follow him as chain breaker, to become citizens of an eternal kingdom, to place our hope in him as he promises to rescue and renew all creation spiritually now, physically, and finally in the future. Let me give you a personal example of how this looks today. My dad uh, fought a valiant six-year battle with cancer. It was uh, multiple myeloma, bone, bone marrow cancer he got from exposure to Agent Orange in Vietnam. And my dad was an um, elder and pastor in the church. 
And so all kinds of people wanted to speak into his life when he got his diagnosis. And um, I can say I was 15 years old. And so some of those things, it's amazing, are still fresh in my mind. We had all kinds of reactions. We had people who simply stopped talking to our family because they didn't know what to say anymore. We had people offer every kind of weird home remedy and program or healing regimen, swearing that their brothers, sisters, uncles, cousins, best friend was healed within 24 hours of taking whatever it is. If you've been seriously sick before, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But the worst, most painful were the people who kept telling our family, if you just had enough faith, your dad would be healed right now. Now, all these people were well-meaning, But Christians, for those of you who are not Christians here, it's okay. I, I just want to talk to Christians for a minute. Christians, we can be pretty ridiculous sometimes. Many people would drop by and say, the Lord told them that my dad would be healed. They were convinced that the Lord had spoken to them and said, my dad would be healed, and then he died. But what's amazing about who our God is, is that my dad was healed before he died. Of course, I believe because he loves and served Jesus that he's with him now and he's better than when he was alive, but that's not what I'm talking about. Over those six years of struggling and wrestling, of facing death, my dad was changed spiritually. There were deeply broken things about my dad I didn't ever think would be healed this side of heaven. But God chose that experience of being sick to bring true spiritual health. God chose that experience of being sick to bring true spiritual health. In fact, several people have since told me the way that my dad handled death itself pointed many people to Jesus. Despite what it looked like on the outside, my dad's spiritual needs were more dire than his physical ones. You go, well, what's more dire than cancer? What's more dire than facing death? And yet God knew that what was on the inside needed to be healed before and more importantly than what was on the outside. And so as we look at Jesus' sermon, it's important that we understand this, that Jesus is coming to us saying there is needs. There are needs that are more important than the ones that you see and I want to address those because I am the true healer. And whether I heal you physically or not, and Jesus did heal physically, but always to point us back to his authority and his power and his ability to heal spiritually. And so as we look at this sermon, it's important that we remember that what Jesus is saying is not accidental, that he lays it out the way that he does on purpose. And as we become citizens of this new kingdom and apprentices of Jesus, the Bible says that we are changed day by day. All of us are called to be poor in spirit. All of us are called to mourn. All of us are called to be meek and humble. In fact, pastor and author, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, or as you know, I like to say, Dr. Jones, in his book on the Sermon on the Mount, points out that the first three Beatitudes were all about our need, our awareness of our need. Being poor in spirit, realizing that we can't fix ourselves or be good on our own, the mourning that comes when we realize just how sinful we really are, both in how we still desire sin and that even the best good stuff we do for God is not good enough. Then meekness, which is the surrendering to God of the guilt and shame we carry for the bad we do and the attempt to do good, do good things 
in order to earn God's favor or pleasure or love. These three emphasize the incredible importance of recognizing our need and seeing Jesus as the only solution to that need. And this is where Jesus starts a sermon about the kingdom of God. He's saying we must all start here or we have nothing to do with his kingdom. But his next statement is central to the rest of it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they will be filled. All we have to do is want God's ways of doing and seeing things and he promises that we will get what we want. He will change our hearts and minds for us to value the things that he values. Having realized our need, we come to Jesus, we hunger and thirst for his ways, and then God comes with his wondrous answer that we will be filled, fully satisfied. And from there on, we're looking at the result of that satisfaction. What is the result? We become merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers. Last week, Daryl, one of our elder candidates, talked about being merciful And those who have experienced true mercy are the most merciful in return. It's kind of like this. How many of you have worked food service? How many of you have been waiters and waitresses before? Yeah. Uh, I have. It is hard work. And let's be honest, people kind of suck. I never tip below 20% now, ever, because having worked... In that profession, you understand how absolutely hard it is. Even when somebody's terrible, I still tip 20% and then I write a nice note that says this would have been better. (laughs) We're much more empathetic when we can relate to and understand what someone is going through. And this brings us to our first observation for for the day for those of you who are taking notes. The pure in heart are those who recognize the impurity of their hearts. The pure in heart are those who recognize the impurity of their hearts. Last week, Daryl pointed out that true mercy actually costs us something. It's sacrificial. And just like showing sacrificial mercy comes from a place of having been shown mercy, being pure in heart can only come from realizing that we don't have pure hearts. I know this sounds backward, but think of it another way. How can you offer a cure to somebody who refuses to believe that they are sick? How do you begin to talk treatment options if somebody refuses to acknowledge that they are sick? There is no way to begin that process. It doesn't matter how hopeful the treatment plan is. It doesn't matter how hard or easy the process is going to be. You can't even begin until there is recognition that there is a need for that process. The Bible is clear that we're not able to correct the impurity of our hearts and our own strength or ability. But if we can recognize how much we still desire to do things our way instead of God's way, that's sin. If we can recognize that even the good things we do can come from wrong heart motives, that's sin. If we can see that we try to do life in our own strength instead of actively actively relying on God's strength, that's sin. We can begin to see, recognize the impurity of our hearts. When we get to this place, the reality is that we should come to a place of mourning. What can be done about this? 
But Jesus doesn't leave us here. He promises that we will be comforted. He doesn't leave us, leave us without hope or alone in our brokenness. See, he sent his spirit as our comforter and helps us to live in his grace and mercy with pure hearts and a desire to be holy. This is one of the most important things to understand in Christianity. If you're taking notes today, this is our second observation for the day. That being a follower of Jesus is not about how much we know or do, but about the condition of our heart. Being a follower of Jesus is not about how much we know or do, but about the condition of our heart. That, the promise that the pure in heart will see God is ultimately the point of all this, isn't it? But what does it really mean to see God? Pastor and author John Piper explains it like this. We use the word see to mean that we finally understand and discern the beauty and glory of God after being blind to it. Like when we say, oh, now I see. And the second way is that in the narrative of the Bible, we see the glory of God and finally we will see him face to face through Christ by seeing Christ. I mean, the true promise of Christianity, the gospel, is that God's plan is to rescue and renew all creation back to the proper relationship with him through the person and work of Jesus. It's the reason we're followers of Jesus, to see God and his kingdom fully and completely as his adopted and beloved children, as co-heirs with Christ. We are now children of the living God. And so what does it mean then to have a pure heart? Well, the trouble is that we have divided hearts. One part of me wants to know God and worship God and please God, but if I'm honest, there's another part of me that doesn't want those things. They want what I want. They worry about who's protecting Jared. The Apostle Paul addresses this in Romans 7. He says, For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So I discover this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. There's that morning. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There is our hope. There is our answer. So then, with my mind, I am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. Paul recognizes that we are at war within ourselves. On one hand, our spiritual hearts have been reborn as, reborn as new creations with God's values and heart. But we're still tied to our broken natures that are tied to sin. And this war is what leads us to struggle constantly to live as we are called to. The prophet Jeremiah addresses this same tension we feel. Jeremiah 17, 7 to 10, it says this, The person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed is the Lord, is blessed. He will be like a tree planted by water. It sends its roots out toward a stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes, and its foliage remains green. It will not worry in a year of drought or cease producing fruit. The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? 
I, the Lord, examine the mind. I test the heart to give to each according to his way, according to what his actions deserve. We have divided hearts. But to be pure in heart means that we are undivided in our hearts. To be like Jesus, perfect and spotless and pure. It means we live to the glory of God in every respect. He is our supreme desire to know him, to love him, and to serve him. To be about him every day, every moment of our lives, not just when we're doing church, not just on Sunday. Jesus says, only people who have these hearts will see God. I don't know about you, but that freaks me out a bit. Anybody else? Just me. Okay, that's all right. I can preach to myself this morning. I look at this and I think, how am I ever going to see God? I know I can't possibly pull this off. And that thinking exposes how much I still fail to believe what God has said and who he says that I am. The truth is I can't pull that off. But I can come to God in the full realization that I can't pull it off. And I can ask God for the desire of my heart to be like that. Did you catch that? Not, hey, God, make me like this. Make me pure in heart. But God, would you help me to even want that? That's where it starts. See, it's not our natural desire to even want these things. We go, God, I, for whatever reason, some of us feel we're not worthy to be called his children. Some of us feel like we could never, all the things we've done could never bring us into that place. Some of us feel like we got this. We already got this on our own. Some of us just wonder if God even notices us. And the prayer is the same for all of us. God, help me to want what you want, to believe in who you are and who you say that I am. The Bible says that not only will he answer the prayer to change our hearts, but he will help us to become pure in heart. But this isn't just some future hope. It's for right now too. And so if you're taking notes, this is our third and final observation for the day. The promise that we will see God is fulfilled both now and in eternity. The promise that we will see God is fulfilled both now and in eternity. Those who become apprentices of Jesus get to see him in a sense that people who aren't apprentices of Jesus can't. It's kind of like those people who, you know who I'm talking about, they swear because they know everything about their favorite actor that they know that actor personally. You know, you may be that one who thinks if you just had a chance to meet them, you'd be their best friend. You know what I'm talking about? But the truth is, is that we don't know who the person is. You only know the public persona in the same way we can know all about God but not actually know who God is. As we know Jesus more and more, we begin to see the Father, the Son, the Spirit in nature, in history, in the moving in and through our lives and in and through the lives of others. We see him move in the church, the followers of Jesus, and we can directly experience his love and his grace and his mercy in and through them. See, one thing that we forget That we as the church are called to be models of who Jesus is. And so when we love people, Jesus is loving people through us. 
When I say the church, I don't mean the pastor. I don't mean the elders. I mean you. You are the church. When you love people, you are showing what it looks like for people to be loved by Jesus. When we have a sense or a feeling that he's near, that he's speaking to us so that he loves us, we are seeing God. Even though we're still imperfect, we get to experience his presence through his people, through his spirit, through his word, through prayer. This is all parts of seeing God. But someday, we as followers of Jesus will see him face to face and we will understand completely and fully. Until then, we get to taste a portion of his presence in our heart and in the presence of other followers. This is why we don't just come to church on Sundays, but why we are the church. This is why when you leave every Sunday, we say, go and be the church. So why God doesn't just want your Sunday mornings, but all your breathing moments for himself. He wants you to know him and experience him as fully now and fully in eternity. These are the incredible gifts from the loving God. He has risen. Oh, there's my Christians. I got you. All right. If you want to know more about becoming an apprentice of Jesus or you want to take the next steps and be baptized, one, if you want to know more about following Jesus, people at the next step table at the end of service would love to talk to you or you can follow the link if you're online that the admin has posted. If you want to get baptized, we, have, we will have the opportunity to do baptisms today. Feel free to come up and get baptized in those moments. Let's pray. Lord, we surrender to you in this moment. You are so good. I thank you that we don't have to be enough, but that we are made enough in you. I thank you, Father, that your son has become our substitution, that he took the penalty for our sins on himself, that he was separated from you so that we could be made close to you again that we could be reconciled back to you thank you that we get to experience you fully because of what he's done we love you and praise you in the name of Jesus